You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hello and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. Thanks for making the Crosscheck NHL Show your first listen every Tuesday and Thursday. We are free and available on all platforms. My name is Mary Clark, staff writer for The Win, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mary C. Clark. I'm here with Andrew Berkshire, NHL analyst for the Montreal Gazette and host of Game Over Montreal on the SDPN, who you can follow on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire. On this Thursday edition of the Crosscheck, it's Thanksgiving. With it being a holiday, today's show is a light and fun one as we discuss and rank the current Olympic jerseys that have been shown off thus far. And spoiler alert, it's not going to be pretty. Plus, we'll talk with Chris Peters of Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense about the Omaha Lancer situation in the USHL and look ahead to the World Juniors next month. So, Andrew, before we start off today's show, how you doing? I'm doing really well, actually. Um, had a great day so far. Had a good morning. Had a decent night last night. Uh, watched a movie that we're going to talk about in the pop culture segment. I am relieved that the terrible Hockey Canada jerseys are not the worst <laughs> jerseys that have come out for the for the Olympics. So uh, there's something there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get right into that. Uh, besides me, uh, you know, Getting prepped and ready for Thanksgiving. That is really all that is happening with me. Uh, so uh, obviously we're recording this is Wednesday, uh, but when you hear this is Thursday. So happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners. Um, hope you enjoy lots of good food, good sports, and just have a very, you know, nice and fun day with you and your family or whoever you choose to be with. But yes, we will go right into the biggest topic in hockey right now, which is apparently Jersey discussion because we, you know, talked about the, the devil's uh, terrible alternates on our last podcast. And now we're following it up with Olympic Jersey talk. So this is a fashion podcast now. Yes, this is a fashion podcast. Prepare yourselves accordingly because Andrew and I have opinions. Uh, so on Tuesday, Team Canada released their 2020 Olympic jerseys. Um, and then Wednesday morning, the United States released their Olympic jerseys. And oh boy, Andrew, none of them, I mean, maybe one, I think one of each set are good. And we will discuss as to why. But they're bad, aren't they, Andrew? For the most part. Yeah, I mean, I will say that at the very least, they don't have the awful bits that the Sochi jerseys had. Remember when they put like the plastic all around the collar in oh, Sochi yeah. and it was like really shiny and really dumb looking. So at least they don't have that. And at least the Canadian jersey doesn't have what the alternate jersey in Sochi had, which was it was like all black and then one red armband on only one arm. And it's like, guys, have you... Um, if you ever paid attention to who wore all black and had one red armband, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. It's not a good look. No. But unfortunately, Canada leaned heavily into black in their color scheme again. And I'm not sure what other country consistently uses colors that aren't on their flag yeah. as like a main color for their kits. I saw kits. a tweet that was like, Canada has only one of the jerseys that has their full color scheme of their flag. I mean, yes. Canada's flag is just white and red. Yeah, there's not any, there's not even any white accents on the black jersey. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's the, that's the weirdest part. So Canada's jerseys are a black home jersey, a obviously white away jersey, and a red alternate. But the black and red jerseys don't have any white. There's kind of like a little... 
it's like gray, I guess. Or maybe it's just the way the lighting is. Like the, the leaf is kind of like, you know, outlined. I think it's just a shiny black material. Yeah, it's just a shiny black material. There's no white at all. And I actually wrote an article because I had it. I had enough between the devil's uh, uniforms that were leaked and then became official on Tuesday. And then Team Canada's black uniforms. I was like, I have enough. Uh, I have outlawed black jerseys from the NHL. No more. They're all bad. Please stop it. Because like a lot of the ones we talked about last episode, Andrew, they're black. They're black. It is bad. And I don't like it. Um, so I don't know why Canada didn't do some white accents. I think that they would maybe look better with, you know, white stripes and white shoulder pads, especially the red one. The yes. red one would have looked so much better if it was a white maple leaf and the white stripes and, you know, kept the black, like, black shorts and the black gloves. I, I just don't get it. Why the black is such a lazy design choice in hockey it's used well in a lot of places but it seems as if designers are just like here here's a black uniform that's the entire design that's it and i'm like come on show some creativity it's just a lazy design that they you know fall back on when they're like ah yes we'll you know mix it up you don't need to mix it up there's so much history in canada's jerseys why would you do this yeah i it's like I i have to say like the actual design like the look of the jersey if you ignore color i like it I like the shoulder stripes. Like that's it's not too busy. I like the logo. Like the segmented maple leaf looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's not the Sochi jersey where it like f- straight up looked like clip art. <laughs> like they just cut out the flag and put white and clip art in Canada underneath. Like that was a legitimately terrible jersey by every point. Like it was all bad. It and Nike like a, deserves to be shamed for it. It looked like a soccer jersey which we'll get to with the united states because that also looks like a soccer jersey but it Team did. canada's um, it looks like a hockey jersey i'll give them that although even like i'm looking at the black one the black one doesn't have the stripes along the waist which makes it look like a practice yeah, jersey yeah it's weird so i'm not sure what they were doing with it the feels black too one top heavy the black it one does feels too top heavy to me it does and I just, the whole black thing, I don't mind a black accented jersey. Like, if they were to take the red one and just make the leaf white with, like, the silver lines, I think I would accept that jersey. But there's there's a Photoshop of that out there that looks decent. I would personally prefer no black on the jerseys at all. I like the two-color jerseys for Team Canada. I don't understand why they're so afraid of it because you look at Detroit. Yeah, the Red Wings, they do it. It looks great. The I think white one looks Boston so College clean. does as well, right? Or is it or is it Bo- BUB, Boston University? Or is Boston it Boston College? College? Uh, let me look it up while you are continuing yeah. to talk. Either way, one of them does it. And Canada's best jersey of all time, in my opinion, was they weren't in the World Juniors one year. I think it was 2007. And it was a throwback to the 72 Summit Series jerseys and the... the uh, jersey that they won through or that they wore through all like the Canada Cup challenges and it was like a big half maple leaf with Canada written diagonally across it that spanned like the whole jersey it's a very unique style of jersey it's not just a logo in the chest it's a fantastic jersey they need to bring it back they need to do something unique and lean into the two color jersey it looks good it's you don't boston have university, to have black yeah okay boston university they have a good kit boston university it looks yeah. like a college jersey but it looks good the two colors works perfectly fine you don't need to add a color that doesn't represent the country i don't understand it yeah black I... can work as an accent color the boston bruins the pittsburgh penguins yes. those jerseys are yes. fantastic but they can't be all black yeah like, it just takes have away s- from any 
any type of design they're trying to do. It like, does. And you need something bright with the black to contrast it, right? There's a reason why Boston and Pittsburgh are the two teams that I always bring up because they also use yellow. Yellow. Yes. And it, I mean, black is the base of those jerseys, but they accent it so Heavily. well with the, you know, the yellows. Um, and I think Pittsburgh also uses white too, if I remember correctly. Yes. But yeah, they accent it so well with those bright colors. If you allow that, you know, dark jersey to dominate, it just kind of sucks the void. Like it's just a void. It, it, I don't know. It just, it doesn't look pleasing. The white Canada jerseys are the best out of the three by, by far. I mean, it's I think... the simplest. It just looks the cleanest. I mean, it's it's not doing anything like creative in terms of it's not doing anything new, but it's it's Team Canada. You know what you're getting with Team Canada. Yeah, it's classic and yes. it's it's solid, like the actual design choices. But yeah, I think one of the big keys to having a black jersey also is you need the shoulder yokes. You look at both the Bruins and the Penguins black jerseys. The Bruins have a very aggressive yellow shoulder yoke that also has white in it to make it pop. And they also have triple stripes on the elbows and the waist it's like if you didn't have it black it might be too busy of a jersey but the reason why it's so beautiful is because it has those other contrasting colors to make it pop out of the black so yes. the black creates like it the black draws your vision to the logo and the stripes and the shoulders it's not just a black void and i wish we'd you know enough with the black <laughs> yes you got to do something else it, i guess we should segue straight yeah, into, I was the going USA to stuff, segue yeah. into the usa ones because they didn't go black but they look straight out of uh soccer kits basically yes. i still think the white ones of the united states look the best and i feel like i say this a lot with jerseys i still think like the seattle kraken's white logo like white jerseys are the best for some reason the white away jerseys always seem to pop more maybe it's because the color white accentuates the other bright colors used in the design so i think yeah. team usa's jersey at least the white one is the best but they are not great like i said they look no. exactly like soccer jerseys it's you yeah, know, it would just be like the great... big stripe in the middle with you know blue and there's like a little red on the bottom with usa across the front and for some reason a shoulder patch like a weird shoulder patch on just the one shoulder that is very reminiscent of a soccer team it just yeah. doesn't it's such a weird choice i they will probably look better on an actual person instead of just in these, you know, mock-ups that you get when you see them. If you told me this was the U.S. World Cup jersey for Qatar, I'd believe you. <laughs> yeah. That, like, it doesn't it doesn't strike me as a hockey jersey at all. Yes. Which is very strange. And I feel like the USA has to move away from just writing USA in the middle of the jersey. Like, you've got to bring a logo in. And I... It's because kinda, it's because they went that that one of their most iconic ones. Is it's the, the interstate US, logo, right? Yeah, it, and people like make the, fun of that too. But at least it's something. I mean, people also like the. I think it's like the, the their iconic nineteen uh, eighties one with the big USA mm -hmm. in front. I think that's why they're so attached, or the one that's also diagonal down the middle. Uh, I think that's why they're so attached to the USA thing because that was such an important part of USA hockey's history, but. This is just not the way to do it. It, it even like their their weird Winter Olympic ones. I'm looking up their jerseys now. Their weird Winter Olympic ones. I forgot. Uh, I think I actually wrote this article that is uh from SB Nation that I'm looking at. Um, it has like a weird like pattern on their sleeves too, but it still has that weird USA crest on like the top. But they really want to emulate those soccer jerseys so badly, and you I don't what, get it. You know what USA jersey I actually like? The 1994 
1996, I think it is, World Cup jersey. World Cup of Hockey. The one that they actually won, that Brett Hall was there. It's a logo they just never use anymore. It's the interstate shape logo, but a little bit... like I think they could bring that shape in to modernize it a little bit. But it's it says USA inside it. Mm-hmm. white letters on a red background and then a white outline around it. It's very simple, oh, but it looks I I, good. Yeah. yeah, it does look, it, it looks unique. You're right in that it is just like a very unique sweater you don't often see anymore. I just, I'm I'm not surprised we're disappointed by these, uh, but it is just, it's sad. I'm just sad. These make me sad. <laughs> I don't want to look at a soccer team on the ice for the Olympics. I want to look at a hockey team on the ice for the Olympics. I get that they're trying to like, homogenize you know the look of the teams i guess in the united states like so american it is it's so american and i hate i hate synergy mary synergy it's all about the synergy but we have at least one good jersey to talk about and this was released a couple weeks ago from team finland with their gorgeous gorgeous logo i love you finland oh it's beautiful i love the logo chef's kiss um i don't really know what the i guess it's some sort of finnish logo maybe it's not it, yeah, it's flag. part of their like country's it's, crest yeah. i believe thank you i'm not really good with the um like yeah it's part of their like historic finland crest but it is gorgeous and uh kimo timonen is uh you know displaying this jersey um in the picture always I have. have time for kimo uh always have time for him what a what a what a man we love him um so yes they're just you know your basic blue jersey um with like a like a light blue stripe through the middle with that logo over top um it's very clean like i said i like the white jerseys the best because the the logo and the blue pops the best on that one but they're just they're simple easy jerseys didn't go too fancy didn't overthink it they're just they're exactly what you want from a jersey and i always feel like finland and sweden always knock their you know their jerseys out of the park it always yes. seems i'm looking sweden, at like a, sweden especially Yes, because the blue and the yellow just work so nicely together. Um, I'm looking at um, sportslogos.net uh, for this article, and they have a list of Finland's um, hockey jerseys from the past. I forgot that in Sochi they did the the like their their flag basically on the jersey with the like stripe, like the the crossed stripes, um, and it made up their their jersey. I forgot that they did that. Um, I actually yeah, that like was it. I I don't love it. But I will say <laughs> I think it's unique. I think it's unique that they basically just took their flag and I'm like, here, here's the flag on the on the jersey. I just yeah, thought that it, was it cool. reminds me of like in NHL games before they had the rights to use like international jerseys <laughs> and they were just like the flag copy pasted onto a jersey shape. Yeah, but this is the best ones, I think. I like this better than Pyeongchang's because it's the same logo in the middle, but I don't like that the stripes, the stripes all around. Yeah, the um, Pyeongchang was too busy. Yeah. I will say I am a little bit disappointed in how dark the blue is because Finland has always been a light blue and their flag is light blue. I, I legitimately love the look of it, but mm-hmm. I wish they could have, in the blue jersey, flipped the colors oh, so okay. that the, the stripe was the dark blue and the rest was the light blue. Just because I, I love Finland being the light blue, it just that's the Finnish hockey team to me. But I do really like this jersey. I think it's a, a really nice uh, use of their, their crest and their logo. I'm actually surprised that they don't have Suomi on the jersey. I think it's yeah, the that's... second time in a row now. They didn't have it for Pyeongchang either. So I guess they're moving away for that, from that. But Maybe, uh, yeah. I've always, I'm very used to that being part of the jersey for Finland. 
it's probably just the homogenization, like I said, of, you know, streamlining the, the jerseys a little bit. I think Finland got caught up in that maybe a little bit. It would have been cool to see, you know, just an alternate because the U.S. and Canada both have alternates for theirs. So maybe it's an alternate we haven't seen yet. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think we were going to, like, rank them unofficially. But I think we can agree that it is Finland at the top, Canada and the U.S. I would assume that that is the the unofficial rankings here. Of yes. this podcast. I don't Absolutely. think that there's any debate, uh, which is a first for us that there's no there's no debate. Uh, I don't know when the next ones will be released, but I am looking forward to them because it's always a good time. Uh, jerseys are a really fun topic to talk about just because they inspire such reaction from people. I mean, I wrote an entire article because I hated the color black on two jerseys. So I wrote 500 words about it. So it's just a, it's a really fun topic to talk about. And I thought it was a good way to transition to this, you know, on this Thanksgiving day because not to say that there's not a lot to talk about, but, you know, there's not as much hockey news. We kind of went over, you know, all the teams and stuff. So we thought we'd, you know, give you a bit of a fun taste, you know, of the Olympics to come because they are going to get here fast. Uh, and this this podcast is probably going to go to war. And if it doesn't go to war in February, it's going to go to war next month when the World Juniors are a thing. And I'm going to use that as a transition to our interview with Chris Peters, um, who was lovely and took a lot of time out of his day to discuss um the omaha lancers situation um in the ushl and also preview the world junior so you get more talk of uh your favorite countries coming up right after this does this sound familiar we've got one device that lets you catch the game live another that lets you stream your favorite shows you're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends login for the good stuff well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to get, finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite shows, sports, movies, all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required, content varies by package. Hello and welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL show. It's Mary Clark here with my co-host Andrew Berkshire, and we got a special guest, Chris Peters of Daily Faceoff and your own newsletter, Hockey Sense. Uh, how you doing, Chris? Uh, what's going on today? Mary, I'm doing great. It's good to be with you and Andrew. Uh, we're we're just getting ready for the the, the American Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, tough one for Canada there not to celebrate with us. I know you've already <laughs> had yours, but, uh, but yeah, you know, everything's, uh, everything's going well. It's just, it's, it's great to be, um, back in hockey rinks again and, and just enjoying the season so far. Yeah. You know, I hate to have to clarify American Thanksgiving on this podcast because I never, I never had to before I, as you know, I am, I am American and this is not something that comes up in my daily life, but thanks to, thanks to Andrew and the rest of the, you know, Canadians as being part of a hockey culture. We sadly have to say American Thanksgiving, but it's nice to tip the scales in my favor of having another American here because a lot of the guests Andrew usually books are Canadian. So I usually feel outnumbered. So I'm glad that there is somebody else here to help me out. Uh, but, glad to be here. Yeah, but glad you're doing well. Um, you got to admit, though, Mary, like of the two Thanksgivings, I think Americans get the timing right. Right. So you have something between Halloween and Christmas, but Canadians get the timing of the week. Right. Because like Thursday Thursday, yeah. we do like Sunday, Monday. So you're guaranteed a long weekend. Whereas in America, if you don't get that Friday off, like we mentioned on the last podcast, you're kind of a sucker, right? Because you just have a more busy Wednesday where you're still working, but you mm -hmm. got to do all the Thanksgiving prep. So 
We got to combine any, them. Yeah. And any, any company that has their employees work on that Friday aside outside of retail. Cause of course we, you know, we, that's, yeah. that's yeah. the other Black thing. Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but, but anybody that has them work, uh, I, I believe those companies should be contracted. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. They're evil. Yes. I, I mentioned it on the last podcast, but my break, illegal. my break lined up perfectly. So I have three days off and I go back to work on Sundays uh, for <laughs> football. So I am perfectly fine. But I think, Andrew, the reason probably why Thanksgiving is the way it is, is probably capitalism because of, yes. uh, you know, having Black Friday and now, you know, Cyber Monday. So it's just all built into the system now, sadly, you know, got to get that, got to spend that, uh, spend that money. And, you know, if you want to buy your Christmas gifts, you probably should uh, earlier than normal because of the supply chain issues. So I've already started uh, you know, stockpiling on Christmas gifts. I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent, but it's <laughs> it's important for me to tell everybody else that this is you need to do this because you don't want to show up to Christmas with no no gifts because of ev- everything happening. Well, in the especially world. if you're like me and your family lives thousands of kilometers away. Sorry to bring up kilometers. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> Andrew, oh, please. Man. Thousands of miles too. Thousands of miles too. Thank you. And, and you got to get them there in time because the mail is slow now too. Especially if you're ordering across border, there's a bit of a delay. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll get to more international talk uh, in a little bit. But first, I want to ask you about the Omaha Lancers situation of the USHL. Can you please explain for those of us who don't know, like the basics, what is happening? What has gone on? Because uh, a lot of it deals with uh, players threatening to boycott games and coaching staff resigning. So can you break down the situation for us. I know it's changed um, a bit in the recent days, so break it down for us, please. Yeah, you know, it's been a really challenging topic to cover. Uh, Certainly, um, you know, I think out front, I should say, you know, owning a junior hockey team is a really difficult business and it is very difficult to make money at. And and it's also... You know, but but there also is the 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 fact that you don't pay the players, so there's a certain level that you have to meet. Whether you're in the CHL, the USHL, BCHL, wherever you are, uh, each of those leagues has certain standards that need to be met budgetarily, Um, and it seemed like that was not happening with the Omaha Lancers, and that created a lot of friction between the coaching staff and the ownership. Um, And the reason that this started raising to the level of where the players boycotted was the head coach of the team, Chad Cassidy, was told not to come back to the arena. Um, and, but the, the crazy thing was they didn't have a replacement for him in place. And so this is, this is two weeks, you know, over, I think two weeks ago now where this happened. So they asked him to come back and coach the team for a weekend. And then he comes back on Tuesday and then they tell him to leave again. Don't tell him if he's fired or not. And this is, you know, this is from sources. I I've, I've known Chad for a long time, but he's not been a source on this story. It's, it's from people like around the organization, um, and familiar with the investigation that's going on right now. But essentially what happened was, you know, they told the billet families that, that host the players, they told the players themselves. And then they told the media through a press release that Cassidy had stepped down and everyone on the planet that is not in the ownership group of the Omaha Lancers understood that to not be true. Um, and, and so there was a, the fact that this was, you know, lied to publicly it's in writing, which is, you know, it's bizarre that it was in a press release. Um, but that triggered the USHL to step in because the players said, we're not going to play in the next games unless, you know, either we have our coaching staff back or you guys have to fix all the problems that, that have been here, which includes, you know, coaches had their video system taken away. So players weren't getting their video in, uh, coaches were using iMovie in order to break down games. And, and the software that they have is really allows them to do much more and be better, you know, use the video more effectively for the players. Uh, the stick budget was cut. And so players were buying sticks at the tier one level. You're not supposed to have to do that. Um, you know, there, there was complaints about the budget and then there's also been complaints about 
the bus company uh, and not the bus company, in, in, but the way that the, the bus was set up where they had to drive over time limits for the driver. So it's unsafe at that point. So there's that, those are th- some of the things that have come out. But really what came to a head was the players felt they were lied to and they said, we're not going to play. So the USHL steps in, they, they postpone those games. They bring in um, uh, an, uh, an independent investigator to look at this after they've talked to the players and, and have a full understanding. They put the team president on administrative leave and he seems to be the one that was kind of executing the owner's wishes in terms of budget cuts. And then there was basically, it was described to me as a very toxic environment there that he had created. Um, you know, some people had called him a bully as well. Um, and, you know, that's obviously been in the news lately with the, with the Bob Murray incident and, and things where, you know, there's, there's abuse and things of that nature, verbal abuse. And, and you know, there's, it, it's really unclear though, you know, in terms of, you know, what actually happened, but there was just a lot of stuff where it was, a, you know, basically an uncomfortable work environment for the coaching staff. And the players also felt uncomfortable by kind of some of the, the, the business operations there. Um, so the league steps in, they put in a new person um, to, to run the team. However, that person is a minority owner of the team. So you're hiring somebody or you're, you're appointing somebody that is connected to the ownership group. And that's where a lot of things started moving in a different direction for me. Um, and I started looking into that more. Um, and uh, Josh Mervis, the gentleman that was put in there, has been involved in the USHL for a long time. One of the coaches that he hired in one of his first jobs in the league was Chico Adradas, who was the uh, part of Katie Strang's uh, uh, large piece two year in 2020, uh, uh, accused by multiple players who did not previously know each other of sexual assault um, and is the subject of a federal lawsuit right now. So um, because of that connection, there's been concerns on the investigators part. So it has all of these tentacles that kind of move around. But at, but what I want to try to bring the focus back to is the players. And they're right now twisting in the wind, not really sure. They, they're, they're a little more confident now that things are being investigated. And I apologize for the, for the long-winded answer, but it's just, this is there are so many pieces to this that have happened. And so the players are waiting to find out. And as of right now, they can't be traded. They can't move to a different team. Um, you know, I think some of the players that, that had plans to go play at Minnesota high school hockey did leave before that and were allowed to leave. But aside from that, those players are just waiting to play. They are supposed to play this weekend. So they're supposed to resume operations, but that's with the coaching staff that the previous administration replaced the old coaching staff with. So I think that's a very difficult environment for those players to be in at this point. Um, and nobody really knows what happens next. We do believe the, that the investigation is going to conclude at the end of the week. So we should have some answers um, going forward. But what those answers are really are unclear at this point. Wow. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm gobsmacked think, yeah. by how complicated this story has become. Like, I've, I've read a bit about it, but I had no idea about the connections to the sexual assault allegations. Like, it just seems to keep growing. That's yeah, the thing. Like, yeah. Only getting well, bigger. Well, I think part of that is, is to some of the things that have happened. And, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that either work in the USHL or have worked in the USHL for individual teams and and things and and just about how operations go. And um, it always seems like there's, you know, we talk all the time about how coaches are recycled and things like that. Well, it happens in the USHL in a, in a way where, you know, they, they kind of go with appointing Josh Mervis to be the interim steward of the franchise. He was there. He was somebody that was basically there and available and willing and probably wanted to do it um, as a part owner of this team and have some influence. But everybody that I've talked to said, why is there somebody that's not independent of the team? Um, You think back to when the Flint Firebirds players boycotted their ownership group. 
the OHL stepped in and took over the team because they they were concerned for the players and they did not feel that the players were being treated properly. They reinstituted the coaching staff, which is something that I think is at least maybe possible, but I don't think that's likely at this point in in the in this investigation and and, and as things go. Uh, but I mean. Th- this has really hurt the USHL brand as a result because we start seeing like, what are some of these decisions and why are they made? And why did it get to a point where the players felt that their last resort was a boycott? If it gets to that point, you have significant problems in your organization and you need to take on a leadership and, and, and do something about it. So um, that's really where that, that complicated nature, it always ends up coming back and it affects the least powerful people in the situation, which are the players. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a great point. And I mean, I'm looking at their roster right now. These are 16 to 20 year old kids. Correct. uh, Whose lives have been upended because of, you know, decisions out of their control. They, they, we talk about in the NHL, how the players have very little power, but players like this have even, even less power. They are, they're, they're kids at, at their core and uh, their lives are being disrupted and they have no power to change anything other than walking out and boycotting and you know hopefully this brings about changes but do you think that this will you know bring about any you know lasting change in you know the ushl overall or just like or even just in general like do you think that this will help start a groundswell of you know support for you know having you know more changes and you know better conditions and stuff like that and yeah I think, yeah, I think it should. I mean, I certainly think that there should be something that's done. I think that oversight needs to be looked at in terms of how is the USHL enforcing its own rules, even, you know, like so some people have, have complained to me that they felt like there have been other teams that have gotten away with tier one standard violations where, you know, basically the U- USA hockey and USHL have an agreement that if these standards are met, you are officially a tier one league and there is only one of them in the United States. And so that that's a pretty high threshold. So, and I also would feel like if you are an owner that doesn't feel like you're going to be able to meet those standards, you have, you cannot be in the league. And, and I understand that it's a difficult business. I understand that COVID had a massive impact on the business. Um, But if you aren't able to meet those standards, you aren't able to do the job correctly and you are not doing right by the players. My hope is that that the oversight improves, that there is more enforcement of standard violations when they when they do arise, and that the players are put in a situation where they're more specifically with Omaha, that the players are put in a situation where they're comfortable, where they feel their best interests are being best interests are being looked after, and that they have an opportunity to get, to resume what they're doing. The one thing that you mentioned, the power dynamic too. Think about what these players have to lose in this situation. Uh, you know, they have played their whole lives. You know, their parents have spent a lot of money to try and get them to, to the best, the best, uh, you know, be the best players that they can be and play on all the AAA teams and do all that stuff and get all the equipment. And then when, once you get to the USHL, that's kind of like the reward and you don't want to lose it because it's your path to a division one scholarship. It's your path to being drafted in the NHL. And so you almost feel like I just have to sit here and take it because this is my path forward. Well, I don't think that's the case and it shouldn't be. And I, and I've been, I, I really respect, you know, we talk a lot about agents and family advisors and, and, and how sometimes they can, can disrupt things. I think that a lot of them have been advocates for their players in this, especially with some of the things that they brought forward to the media and uh, on the player's behalf and also, you know, what they've been trying to do behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, it's, it is, it is very difficult. And you always hope that the players are put first in all situations. If it, if it negatively impacts the players, you have to go back and look at that and review it. Yeah, and I, and- I think the context of how little power players have should also give us some pause about the collective action that they're taking here, right? And the same with the Flint Firebirds and the courage that it actually takes to step forward and say, like, we're not going to play because, 
you know, we've talked before on this show about how power enables abuse in certain situations in terms of like the Kyle Beach story and uh, a coach or a team having your future in their hands, essentially. Right. So like these kids are part of a culture that does not accept this kind of action, right? Like there will be consequences in the way that certain hockey people will view kids who like stand up for themselves essentially. So we have to give like extra props to them for actually stepping up and caring about uh, being lied to and taking a stand here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it takes such courage and, and really, you know, I think in the, in the instance of both this one and the Flint, you know, to me, that speaks volumes about the character of these players, um, it, 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 about their conviction and about, you know, you know, their toughness, too, because it really does say that I'm going to put it on the line because what I what I see here is not correct. It's not right. And I don't I won't stand for it. And so I think that that takes you want people like that that won't take that kind of stuff because it's going to translate on the ice, too. You know, so that's the other thing. But, yeah, it's it's it's. You hate to see it have to come to this point, but I think you have to. You, the respect that I have for the players only grows knowing that they felt, you know, there, there's certainly something to lose, and um, you know, there there could have been threats to their careers and everything else that that would have given them pause, but they went forward with it. Yeah, and Andrew, I think you make a really good point because I was going to make a similar point that uh, you've seen a lot of people speaking out about injustices in hockey. I mean, I'm not going to equate, you know, sexual assault with, uh, you know budget cuts Correct. and stuff like yes. that absolutely but, of course yeah but still there it's it's been great to see over the last handful of years a lot of players having agency and taking action and you know consequences be damned basically and trying to make the sport of hockey a better place i think i think that's what we all want as you know we're all hockey fans here and we've all talked about you know the state of the sport in general and it is and it's frustrating at a lot of different points but and there's could still obviously be consequences, unfortunately, for these players in the future. We don't know that, like you said, there's a lot we still don't know in general about what's going to happen with this story. But it's been really great to see people and hockey players standing up for themselves and, you know, having agency to do that and enacting and doing their best to enact change, because that's that's what we want in the sport. And it starts from the ground up. The The way to change, in my opinion, the way to change hockey culture is, you know, from the youth level, from college, minors, juniors, all that. So this is just a, I know this story sucks, but there is at least a little bit of, you know, not positivity, but just, you know, hope, I guess, if that's the best way to put it. I don't know if you have the same feelings here, but that's kind of the way I'm looking at this. Absolutely. And I I think that idea of of players having agency, I think that what the leadership of hockey has to do, and that's coaches, that's administrators, general managers, whoever, is understanding that and, and, and accepting that the players do have some agency and that, that, you know, you, you look at the situation with Jack Eichel and, and wanting to have a certain surgery. And it, so it goes all the way up the chain. Um, and, and really to me, I think that it's not something that those administrators and leaders were equipped to handle at this time. Um, but it's something that they're going to have to become better with because these players do have their own ideas about what they can do. And they're not always right. Let's, you know, they're not always right. And they don't, you know, they, I'm not saying that putting your own self-interest above all is always the best thing to do, and especially in a team sport, but it is, it is something that I think each player does have to do. And you have to manage that as an organization. How do you support that? without losing, you know, the team dynamic and things of that nature, it's possible to do, 
but that's going to be one of the real interesting things of, of team building, roster building, and also just in general of, of, of handling teams and managing teams uh, with these players that have a, a very clear idea of who they are, what they want and, and how they think they need to, what they think they need to do to get there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, Andrew, do you have any more, you know, anything you want to, anything else you want to ask on this topic? Because we are going to switch topics hard, uh, <laughs> going to something something else, uh, Chris, that you are, uh, you know, a big uh, proponent of, a big fan of. Yeah. But, you know, um, I do appreciate you talking about this because you really have been on this beat and on this beat really well. Um, oh, so thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's just it's been it's been a fascinating story to watch, uh, but it sucks. It is like, a yeah. you know, it is a terrible story, but it is the way everything has unfolded, you know, has just been a bit fascinating to watch. But and you said there's still more to come. There's still right, more to come. Right. Is there? Do you have any idea where this could possibly go next? Are they you say they're going to play? So are they going to play this weekend? It, it, it by all indications, they are going to play. The players want to play. I think, you know, they understand that the coat what happened with the coaching staff is something that. You know, they're not sure when it's going to get fixed or if it's going to get fixed, but they need to play and they want to play. So they will. Um, I believe that the investigation will at least have wrapped up by the time those games happen. I don't know if there will be findings released publicly. Um, I don't know uh, exactly what steps the NA- the USHL will take, but I do know that everybody's got really close eyes on this. And that includes USA hockey. That includes the NHL even, you know, and the, because this is an important thing. Um, uh, but, and, and I think it's important to note, you know, this is, this is much different than a lot of other situations. There's there, there really has been no evidence of criminal activity. Um, there's been no, you know, things of that nature that, so it is a different dynamic, but the little things tend to add up. And then when you, if you start letting certain things slip, then bigger things are going to slip too. Um, and so I do feel like that, you know, this is not just a, a story about budget cuts and it, it's about a work environment that was, was unfavorable to everybody there. Um, and something that was, it was a, a culture created by ownership and, and team leadership um, that, you know, now they have to fix. But yeah, I, I think, you know, so the long and short of it is, is I don't know where this is going to go next, but I do know that, that, you know, people have confidence in the independent review, which I think is really, really important. The players were very skeptical on the initial contact that they received from the league. Um, but they are much more comfortable and, and the, and the people that have been involved in the investigation are much more comfortable with where it's going. And I think that everybody respects what they're doing. So, um, it it has been, I don't enjoy doing stories like this. It's actually not something that I do very often, but when I see something that I feel like needs to be, uh, uncovered and, and further looked into, um, I'm going to do it. So, um, that's, that's where we're at now. And yeah, just stay tuned because I think there'll be more to come. Yeah. And the hockey world is better for, you know people like you that dig up these types of stories. So thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, uh, gotta confront the madness and move forward. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously if you want to, you know, keep in touch with all the goings on of this story, obviously follow uh, Chris on, you know, daily face off or the stories I've, you know, I think Andrew and I have both of uh, read uh, up on this uh, from you. So, uh, but you. coming up next, we are going to talk about, the world juniors uh like i said i think very near and dear to your heart so we're going to preview it uh discuss uh coming up right after this it's thanksgiving and we all know what that means football and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting bet online has you covered all holiday season more props odds and lines than ever before bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this thanksgiving Head to our new updated mobile or wo- or desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code locked on to receive your bonus. 
And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, and even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, we're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. Promo code locked on. All right. So the World Juniors are coming up in basically a month, pretty much. Uh, It always begins the day after Christmas or, you know, for you Canadians out there, Boxing Day, as we (laughs) talked about on the on our little pre-show we had. So uh, inclusive, Mary. I know. I know. American Thanksgiving, Boxing Day. I'm just I'm doing it all for you Canadians out there because (laughs) I've like I said, uh, when it was just the three of us, I I've never had to, you know, articulate the fact that it was American Thanksgiving ever in my life. And I don't know if I've really had to pay attention to Boxing Day. So but here you are, Canadians. This is for you. So the World Junior Hockey Championships, they are back this year. They are in Canada, I believe, in the, the same spot that they were last year, correct? Is that right? Yeah, Edmonton and then Red Deer is also the secondary state this year that they did not have last season, but they are back. Yeah, and the big reason they are back, I would assume, is because uh, they are allowed to have fans back in the building, and last year was a, a bubble, as because, as you know, the pandemic is still here, but we're at least doing, I think, a little bit better on that regard. Um, so, so what, what I'm is- hearing, Mary, sorry to interrupt, is because okay. there was no fans last year that it doesn't count, right? Mm-hmm. That's exact. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the that's the that's the logic, Andrew. That is the that is the logic. We're gonna just here we go. Pluck so that United little, States, that, not the defending gold medalist. So we're gonna pluck that from <laughs> away from the United States and also pluck the Stanley Cup away from the Tampa Bay Lightning from a couple years back. Perfect. As, all right. I'm glad we have that on record, Andrew. But what I was going to ask was, you are going to be there this year. Yep in person what's it gonna be like to have fans back i think that's i mean i know we all kind of know how it feels now but world junior fans i've seen are a different breed of people uh because i'm american and we don't really care that much about the world juniors but it is in canada and canadian fans are gonna go bananas i think again yeah yeah you know i think that the pandemic if nothing else it 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 kind of eliminated the fatigue that had been happening about the frequency of world juniors in Canada, because as we've seen attendance had actually started to drop, you know, in Vancouver and in, in Montreal and Toronto. And, um, you know, and back when I, even when it was in Buffalo with, with that, that was even worse. So, um, I do think that the, the, the people of Alberta, especially with the opportunity to see, um, such great players in, in this, in this tournament, um, will, will be returning en masse and, It'll be uh, it'll be amazing to to see, and I really I think the the one game in Buffalo that was just absolutely bonkers was the gold medal game, um, which Canada won. Andrew, that one's for you. Um, <laughs> with uh, with Tyler Steenbergen scoring the game winning goal in the dying minutes of that game, and Leah Anderson throwing a silver medal in the stands. I mean, it was an incredible. There's an incredible atmosphere, um, and you know, and and so Canada's not had that because. We had that. We were in the Czech Republic two years ago when Canada won gold again, and that was actually a really amazing environment as well. The Czech fans showed up. A lot of Canadians traveled there. Um, it's great, but yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is unlike anything that you really can compare to in hockey. Um, when when the games have that matter of meaning. Um, last time I, I was at a, a World Juniors in Canada was in Vancouver, and it wasn't a good tournament for Canada, so that kind of. Uh, hasten the, uh, the 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 pall over the tournament a little bit as as Finland ended up winning, beating the United States in that one, uh, and uh, yeah. So I mean, it's just been it's 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 I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, I will be spending most of the tournament in Red Deer, um, tracking the U.S. team, and also that Russia, Sweden, and Slovakia will be there. And it's not just because USA is there that I'm going to be there. Slovakia actually is going to have one of the more important draft teams in this year, like 
uh, a couple of years ago, Germany was such an important draft team to follow. So Slovakia ends up being a pretty important team for me to, to be tracking there as well. So yeah, I'll be arriving on boxing day and I can't wait to see it because I think that this is going to be a very competitive tournament. Um, you know, I, I think Canada should be favored based on the, 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 the roster on paper, but there are going to be some really good teams, us, Canada, uh, Russia, Sweden, you know, there and, and Slovakia should be better than they have been in, in several years. So what you're saying is the U.S. is in a group of death because Andrew pointed this out to me before we started recording, before you jumped on the show, that the U.S. is in basically a group of death because they've got it's U.S. in Group yep. B, Russia, Sweden, Slovakia and Switzerland. Correct. And on the other side is Canada, Finland, Germany, Czech Republic and Austria. Not to say that the Canadians are going to have a cakewalk. But it really feels like the U.S. is in the group of death. So can you break down? Yeah, it doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah. Can you break down a little bit of why these teams are so strong? I mean, we're going to get to the players and stuff like that. Sure. But you mentioned Slovakia being a big draft team. That's really interesting to me. So can you kind of break that down a little bit? Sure. more? Yeah. So Group B is going to be unique. Obviously, the U.S. wins the tournament last year and their prize is getting this. You know, this is the this is the the group that was put together based Andrew, on the, by the way, last year looks so smug. You guys can't <laughs> yeah. see this. You guys can't see this in the audio, but Andrew looked so smug when you said that. I, yeah, I think it's just the uh, resting smug face because of the, the <laughs> incredible mustache, though. I really I respect the stash. He's um, got the, the handlebar. Yeah. yeah. So. So, yeah. So, I mean, you look at this side and, and you've got two of the best goalies in the tournament, Yaroslav Askarov for Russia and Jesper Wallstedt for Sweden. Um, two guys that, you know, I think are going to be exceptional in, in this event. For Slovakia, as you mentioned, you know, they have a Yuri Slavkovsky, uh, uh, Simon Nimitz uh, as well, who is, or Nimitz, who is uh, a really strong defenseman. Um, Slovakia actually went to the, to the championship of the, uh, Holinka Gretzky cup this year with, so they should have a, a younger team, but they'll remain competitive. Um, Switzerland has really fallen on hard times in terms of creating competitive teams. So I don't think, you know, th they're going to be in a fight with Slovakia, I think for fourth place and, and, you know, to get that last playoff spot in the group. The nice thing is, is that when you go through the group of death, I think it does battle test you for, the semi or for the quarterfinals and semifinals because you're ultimately often crossing over um, and playing teams. So I think you'd rather have that than a cakewalk into there, uh, assuming that you stay healthy. Um, for the U.S., it's going to be really interesting because, as I mentioned, there everybody else has strong goaltending. The U.S. may not. Uh, Drew Camesso uh, was supposed to be on the team last year as a number three goalie, uh, was not because of COVID protocols. Now he's coming back in. Nobody really challenging him to be the starter, but he's been struggling at Boston University this year. Um, so that's going to be a real question mark. However, the U.S. is going to have an outstanding defense led by Jake Sanderson, uh, the Ottawa Senators draft pick. Um, I, I fully anticipate Tyler Clevin, another Sens pick on there. Um, yeah, Wyatt Kaiser is a Blackhawks pick who's been really good. So really, the U.S. is going to have a talented team. It's just a matter of will they get the goaltending to, to, to compete against some of these teams that are going to have it because Russia, Sweden, and Canada, presumably with Sebastian Kosa between the pipes, that's that's a very formidable group of goaltenders that you have to go at, and you may not be you know in that mix with them. Yeah, I mean, oh, you said the, the questions about goaltending, and as a Flyers fan, I'm – I'm well versed to, to handle <laughs> to handle these kinds these kinds of things, but if you are a fan of another team in the United States and want to root for them, uh, I am so sorry, uh, but you will know you will know the pain. Um, I guess we'll flip a little bit to Canada because I mean both of us are American, but we do have to pander to the Canadian audience here. <laughs> uh, so you said though um, 
up the top of the segment that you think Canada is the favorite. Why? Can you explain what do they have? I mean, they're obviously like going to be pretty much close to the favorites essentially every year because it's Canada. We know. But the U.S. won the tournament last year. So what makes you think Canada has a leg up on them? Is it the goaltending or is it something else? Yeah, I think goaltending is a major factor. But really, when you look at this U.S. roster, they're not going to have very many returnees from last year's team. They have a a decent number. The defensive core has a few and and the forward group has a few. You got Matty Beneers as a a guy that will play a lot for them. Um, and then you have others that are just really playing at a high level. Um, you know, on the D decor, I also didn't mention Luke Hughes, who's having an outstanding he- season at, at University of Michigan. So they will be a very mobile uh, blue line. But I think the, the thing that separates Canada from the U.S. is just that depth and that they are they will they'll have some returning players. But you think about all the guys that have been returned recently from the NHL. Mason McTavish, um, you, you'll have uh, Jake Neighbors as a, you know, could he's, he's such a versatile player. You can kind of fit him on around the lineup. Um, you know, Dylan Gunther was sent back immediately by the by the Coyotes and he's a good scorer. Shane Wright, the, the, the odds on number one pick for this year, um, you know, as a, as a potential top player for them. So they've, they've got that. I think their decor is fair. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not as strong as I think as some Canadian blue lines have been. They're going to have a lot of first-round draft picks just like they always do. Um, but I, I might actually give the edge to the U.S. in that category. But I, I think that the forward group is really where Canada can separate themselves. They have a good mix of size, speed, and skill. Um, and I think the way that Hockey Canada has built their teams over the years has been much more forward thinking. There's not that fourth line grind. There's not that, you know, let's get skill and let's out, you know, let's make sure that our, our skill players are working hard enough to out battle teams, but we're going to try and score them right out of the building. And I think they're going to have a really good chance to do that based on the roster they have. And, and I didn't even mention Connor Bedard, who, you know, is a 15 year old sensation and they're you know, now 16. Um, you know, has an opportunity to play on that team as well. He hasn't played quite as well this season as we kind of expected him to, uh, but he was absolutely dominant at the world under 18. So you, you wonder, well, then that makes a whole different dynamic for the team. Yeah. Do you, uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit, some, some players and I, every, it seems like every year when we do the world juniors, there's like one player, whether it be on Canada or the U S um, that kind of breaks through and has a really awesome tournament. I'm thinking, you know, Troy Terry, when he scored all those shootout goals, uh, there, there always just seems to be one player. And it, it always seems to at least be from the American side that, you know, captures people's hearts and everyone, you know, cheers <laughs> for them. Do you, do you have like a prediction of like who that could be this year? Like, uh, I know you mentioned some names, but is there somebody yeah. people should look out for this year as a potential breakout star? Yeah, I think I think people are going to. It's not really that he's going to surprise people. I mean, for the U.S., I think Jake Sanderson is really going to turn a lot of heads because I think that he is the best player in college hockey this year based on everything that I've seen. Um, and, you know, that includes Owen Power, who I still think is has a higher upside and a, lo- a better long-term potential. But I think that, that, that what Jake Sanderson does uh, he's probably going to play 26 minutes a game for the U.S. He's probably going to be, you know, in every situation, power play, penalty kill, um, and and just he's he's that good. And so his stuff might not show up on the score sheet. But I think if we're talking about Canada, I really think that Shane Wright, who has had a good season um, in the OHL so far and has been absolutely dominant, he was great at the World Under 18s. He was my vote for the MVP, even though he missed a couple of games. He played through injuries. Um, he's a warrior. He is an elite offensive mind. He has great skill, great shot, great physicality. Um, he is a hard, you know, the effort is there. I think that people that haven't seen him yet because he didn't play last season except for the under-18 World Championship, and he's playing pretty well for Kingston right now, people are going to get a real good glimpse of what he's all about because he is going to do whatever it takes. And, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why we're so high on him to be the, the, you know, the consensus number one in this year's draft. 
yeah to to move things slightly a little bit uh chris over the last several years uh man it's been almost 10 years now the usa canada and finland have absolutely dominated the world juniors uh sweden and russia elite hockey countries but have been shut out since 2012 is there any chance that one of those teams breaks through this year I believe it's possible. And I think Russia is actually probably the team that I, that I would be zeroing in on as, as potential. They have the goaltending. Askarov has only been okay this year. He did not have a good world juniors last year, but you look at the scoring that they're going to have. Matt Mitchkov, who is a 2023 draft eligible is going to be on that team. And he's going to score goals. He he's going to score, score lacrosse goals specifically because he's, he's yeah, already done it what twice already this year. Twice this year, and I think he's done it maybe five times in his career in a game, wow, uh, including at the under eighteen World Championship, which I was on the call for, and I was like, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I just <laughs> you got I you get no, you have no words, even though yeah. we've seen it multiple times. Yeah. It so, just is incredible. I'm just so thing, glad that we don't have Don Cherry on TV to lose his mind over a Russian uh, doing that five times. Oh, I know. Yeah, and and I mean, here's the thing: he's 16 years old. He, he's going to turn 17 just before the tournament begins. He turns 17 at, next month. Um, and so he's not really the breakout star. Cause I think a lot of people know about him, but he's going to be, I think just even at that young age is, has the potential to be a record setting, you know, 16 or, you know, U 18 player in this tournament. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's where he is. And, you know, he scores those lacrosse style goals, but what he also does is, is in, that's insane to me is his, his, his sense of where the net is. So, you know, think about turnaround shots, um, you know, shooting on, on in stride, um, you know, getting, blind one-timers, all those different things. He always hits the net. He rarely misses the net. And it's not that he just hits the net. He hits the corners and he hits it into the, the, the tiniest spot. It is one of the most remarkable tools I've ever seen. And, and really I can say the same thing kind of about Connor Bedard. Cause I watched the two of them together and I was like, wow, Bedard seems like kind of far ahead, but you look at what Mitch Cobb has done this season at the KHL level. He had two assists in his last KHL game at the MHL level where he is outscored. He's over a goal per game. He's got like 2.25 points per game at the U 20 level. He is one of the most insane players. And so when you have a player like that, where he's like, go score, he can't that. And, and if you have that, you have a chance. So I think Russia is very much a team to look at. Um, it's going to be contingent on Askarov playing the way that I know that he's capable of playing. And it's also going to be contingent on their defense playing, being solid. They've got a lot of good players. Shakir Muhammadulin is a, an out, outstanding. He's really grown. Um, I didn't think he was a good first round pick by the devils. I've changed my tune on that remarkable growth over the last two years. So that is a team where I think, you know, there is absolutely a threat and, and Russia is so starving for it. Um, they did just make a coaching change. Igor Larionov is going to help the senior team. So they put Zer- Sergei Zubov in. I have no idea how that's going to look. I do know that when Larionov coached the team that, that Russia opened things up a lot more and, and they can be a threat that way. All right. Well, I've got one last question before we let you go, Chris, it's going to be right. prediction time. We're going to put you on the spot. Because I think, you know, in our heart of hearts, I want the USA to win. Andrew wants Canada to win. But who is, what, who is your prediction for winning this year? Is it U.S. going back-to-back and having, you know, back-to-back winners for the first time in at least over 10 years? Or is it um, Canada or Russia? It's, it's going to be Canada. I think they're the most complete team. Uh, I think Sebastian Kosa being, you know, shoring up the position that has often been the bugaboo for Canada um is, is huge Shane Wright I have a lot of faith in him as a as a driver on that team um and, and I just think that they're overall just a more complete uh team and I think that they're one of the few teams that will find a way to shut down Matt Vay Mitchkov um and I think that that's because Mason McTavish might actually physically eat him 
So, uh, <laughs> so that is something that, that we'll have to watch, but I, I mean, you know, on home ice after COVID, you know, I just think that there's so many emotional factors that also play into that, but I really do believe that it's an op- a much more open tournament than it normally is. And that we could see some really exceptional performances by Russia, USA, Finland, Sweden, and even Slovakia could surprise some people this year. Oh, I'm ready to be heartbroken and for Andrew to be <laughs> so smug when we obviously talk about this uh, in the new year when, you know, the tournament is over because it's just going to be, I know it's, it's going to be a preview to the Olympics. I already know this and I'm very, very ready to have my heart broken, but yeah. thank you so much for joining us, Chris. No. Can you please, before you go plug your stuff, what are sure. you up to? I know this is the busiest time of year for you. So please, yeah. you know, yeah, well, let us know where we can find you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I write twice a week at, at dailyfaceoff.com. I'm, I have at least one newsletter a week at, at hockey sense. Um, and that's a subscription site on Substack. So hockey sense.substack.com. Um, I also write betting content for Betway along with uh, our friend Andrew over here. Um, and so we, 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 we tend to cover different games and everything. Um, he's way better at it than I am. Um, so <laughs> listen to him, listen to him instead. Uh, but you know, and yeah, and so that's that's all the things that I'm kind of doing at Chris M. Peters on Twitter and the podcast that you can get wherever you get your podcast is Talking Hockey Sense. Um, and I have a new episode up this week. So yeah, I really appreciate it coming on. It's been a lot of fun talking with you guys. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to have the uh, to to tip the balances and uh, towards the the United States of America here for you, Mary and uh, and Andrew. Uh, you know, I think that the stash has to stay through past November. Keep oh, it as I don't long know as you that. possibly can. You're going to have to convince my wife there, Chris. You are, pull- you are pulling it off, my friend. <laughs> you are pulling it off. He is. I hadn't mentioned it yet, really, on the podcast uh, because it's an audio medium and you obviously cannot see his face. But it is <laughs> it is a glorious mustache. Uh, but thank you so much, Chris. Uh, and coming up next, we'll, I think, talk about our pop culture segment. All right. Thanks. I love Thanksgiving. And it's Thanksgiving today. How about that? All the good food and treats and plenty of them. But maybe you want a yummy dessert, but one that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar, with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with a coconut Built Bar. Or go for a raspberry built bar instead of raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. They're low calorie, low carb, low fat, and high protein. Covered in 100% chocolate and soft and easy to chew. Built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a built bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It will make things less awkward. Hey, maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built bar yet. New surprises all month with limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday, so mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Andrew, what an interview we had with Chris Peters. Yeah, Chris was fantastic. That was a a fun one, and uh, definitely something, I think, for everyone um, with that interview. You've got some really important news stuff and then also fun stuff with the World Juniors. But it's the pop culture roulette segment that we do every show, and it seems as if you finally watched Dune, Andrew. So please tell me about it. Well, before I do, I have to add an addendum because I messed up when I was looking at Team USA jerseys. And the one that I was thinking of is actually from the 2016 World Cup. I believe it's referencing an older jersey. 
but that's the one where they had the crest with the USA in the middle and uh, the red background. Yeah, it, wasn't it was the neat, 96 though. World Cup. It was a neat one, though. I like it, it is a nice one. I, I like that uh, that kit. So go back to that USA. Give us something <laughs> worth talking about because that jersey is boring and terrible. All right. So, yes, I did finally watch Dune. Uh, unfortunately, based on like time restrictions because of having children, I was not able to watch it all in one sitting. But I have some thoughts because... I'm moderately surprised at the reaction to Dune contrasted with the reaction to Eternals from critics, because there were things that I really did like about Dune, but I feel like if you could just merge both movies in terms of how heavily or not heavily they relied on, uh, now I've lost the word, unfortunately, exposition. Uh, how much they relied on exposition and give Dune some of the exposition that Eternals had, it would have been a much better movie because I'm going at this. I've never read Dune. It was not something that I was not that I was not into sci-fi because I love sci-fi, but I've never taken up Dune. I just had heard too many things about like, it's a painful read. (laughs) You have to get like really into it in order to get something out of it. And I was like, "Eh, I'll try that later. So it's like just never a high priority for me. So I spent a lot of the movie enjoying the visuals and enjoying parts of the world building, but also struggling with the idea of like, why do I care about these people outside of being told they're special? Mm -hmm. You know, like you care a little bit for Paul Atreides' father because you're showing like, okay, he has like, he's nice. (laughs) He's not a tyrannical ruler, but like the villains are so hilariously evil that you're like... It's a little bit, it's it's kind of, it reminds me of like days gone by, right? It's almost, not to reference Star Wars, because I know Star Wars is in many ways a ripoff of Dune, uh, especially <laughs> on New Hope, but it is very much like the Empire, right? They're so hilariously evil that you have to be aligned against them. There's not, no real nuance to the actual villains, even though the political calculations, there's lots of nuance. To it, so like it asks a lot of you. There's a lot of world building, a lot of complicated political machinations going on in this show, but I didn't find myself attached to any of the characters, and I feel like that's a problem because I get attached to movies, most movies, through characterization, and most of the characterization for like the protagonist was essentially like he's special and you should like him because he's special. (laughs) And like, I feel like eh. I, I read that as a complaint and I feel like I read that I heard that he gets better, that he has more things to do. That's the thing. It's a part one. Like his, his characterization. I, if my knowledge is correct, this, this is the first part of Dune. Like the first part, like the book, like it's the first part of the book. Yes. Movie. So you're missing an entire back half of characterization. 100%. And that's so why I, I'm yeah. I'm suspending any major criticism of it. I'm just like coming out of it. I, yeah, I definitely I mean, don't right. feel as strongly about it as some people did. And I also found like there's some things that work in a book that don't work so well in a movie unless, I don't know, maybe they needed, I needed subtitles on it or something, but... Oh, I watched like, it with subtitles because I, I always have to. I, yes. I, can't, I need okay. to watch with subtitles. So there's like... You have to give a, a lot of props to Denny Villeneuve for like uh, there was um, there's a class structure to the dialogue, right? Like mm-hmm. Duncan Idaho speaks differently than the Atreides family. 
So that I really enjoyed. And then there's like Josh Brolin's character, whose name I forget because he was barely in the movie before he died. Uh, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> it was like randomly, like he talked normal and then he's like, now I'm going to speak in poetry for no reason. And you're like, what? <laughs> well, why are you doing this? Why are you speaking in poems? In the, like a, a board meeting, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. But uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of it. I really enjoyed the Thropters. Those were cool. I am interested to learn more about the Fremen who were talked about a lot, but barely in it. Um, You know, great visuals. I will say one thing that they failed to do, which took me out of it the entire movie, was they kept on talking about how hot it is on uh, yes. <laughs> Arrakis. It did not feel hot. It, it felt did. dry, but yeah. none of the characters looked like, like they were hot. Yeah, like I understand that the suits think, that they were wearing were built yeah. to recycle the sweat, but like... There were no real shots of like when they were showing the sand, the like shimmery air that you see with heat. And I know some of that is like water evaporation. So they're, I guess, trying to be like hyper realistic, but like bend the rules of physics a little bit and give us some notion of how hot it is. You don't see many people being exhausted. And the one thing that really bothered me was they talk about how hot it is and how tough it is to go outside without these like rebreathers and the big suits. And then constantly the first half of the movie they're showing people just like walking outside without a hat and everything it's yeah. like but then it's not that hot it's not that yes, hot yes i'm so glad someone else also was bothered by those small little world building things it's like the world building it doesn't add up in what you're showing you're telling yes. one thing but you're showing something different but i i watched it with subtitles which helped a lot because you know when they tossed phrases um that didn't make sense to me i was able to be like okay time to google what this means but like like 20 minutes in the film i stopped it and was like i need to read like a little guide on how to like on what <laughs> you on do what the, like plot setup is beforehand like why it's kind of like a why you should care about these things so i at least got a little more invested after you know reading like kind of the background uh world building you need because it really does just kind of throw you in there and is expecting you to be like you should care and i'm like yes if you're a if you're a book person and if you read these the the books you probably are you're you're invested but if you're like you know like us and we're not coming from that place of knowledge we're kind of like you know we're we're starting the car and we're like oh no we're getting left behind we don't know what's going on please help <laughs> so. yeah and you know what? i i do love movies that aren't afraid to do that that don't want to mm-hmm. hold your hand and you have to really pay attention like you cannot watch dune and have your phone in your hand you oh no cannot do that you, you will not understand what the hell is going on and i love that i really do but i think that you definitely need a primer to fully enjoy this movie or have read the books and i had neither so <laughs> it was like kind of flying by the seat of my pants like okay yeah and then and then this happens and it's like or you need like cultural touchstones to like yes. to you need like something or like like just to like because lord of the rings kind of i think it does a good job of like setting up its at least the movies setting up its world building but you also know like things like elves and dwarves and like, hobbits you kind of understand the basic ideals of those worlds just from general fantasy but yeah. sci-fi is a little bit different in that regard because there's a lot of rules for different things um and everybody was all pretty much human i think in yeah i mean film. you're kind of left to your own devices right like i know yeah. that it's set something like twenty thousand years in the future because it's it shows like the year is ten thousand something but that era started ten thousand years after our current times according to the the lore of the book but i i feel like like his mother's character right where they were just like and she has the power to control things with her voice and she's part of this religion and you're like 
but okay, what? Why? <laughs> like, I feel like I want more explanation of that in the movie. And I know that the runtime is already large, so you can't really do that. But I feel like there was a lot of things that were just like, and this is how it is with zero overlap. Whereas like Lord of the Rings, and we have the benefit of hindsight with this because all three movies have been out for 20 years. Yeah, that's true. But in the first one, I distinctly remember like Gandalf when he's riding into Hobbiton and he's talking about hobbits. You know, like it's not necessarily a voiceover, but there's exposition to tell you about the general characteristics of each people. Right. Mm -hmm. And dwarves and elves, we kind of have the advantage, like you said, of we have preconceived notions of how those peoples are, that there's like conflicts between how each of them value different things in life. So like there's there's something there. This it needed something more to fully hook me in. Like I didn't find at any point that I was totally hooked in that I couldn't turn it off. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a problem. And it's the first Denny Villeneuve movie where I felt like I could turn it off and I'd be like, I can come back to this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like you talk compared to like prisoners or arrival, which is one of my favorite movies of oh, all time. Arrival's so good. Oh my god. I'm usually not a film person, but Arrival and, is really good. I think the reason why Arrival is great because it deals with language yes. essentially at its core. And I just thought that was a really neat concept. Well and like Arrival and uh Prisoners, two of his better movies, both dealt with like family, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Dune does as well, but because it's such a like upper class it's a space opera. It's, it's a, a space, space opera, opera for sure, but it's such a like upper class family and everything's so political. You don't necessarily get pulled into the family. Like I don't know if his parents actually love each other. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like or if it's just an a marriage of convenience or for her about power, it's like right? Space it'd be like Space Game of Thrones if Game of Thrones sped through like to the end and yes. didn't like and didn't set up all those painstaking episodes of plot and like why you should care but that's Which, that's like probably a conversation for a different day of yes. like you know the fil- like a film because you can only do so much with film in its limited runtime versus a TV show where you can meander into your plot as long as you want and that brings me to my biggest takeaway from this is that somebody should have given Denny Villeneuve a billion dollars to do this as an HBO series because uh-huh. that would have been possibly the greatest show of all time. But mm-hmm. in movies, like you said, there is only so much that you can do. I feel like this would have been oh man, so good. It's hard. It? It's hard because like things like Lord of the Rings set the bar so high for what films can do in terms of like the storytelling and making you care. And a smarter person than I can probably tell you why that is, why Lord of the Rings is so successful in making you care and, you know, setting these plots but without, like, I mean, I know they're long films, but, like, they're so enjoyable while you watch them. Yeah. Now this makes me watch, just want to go back and watch Lord of the Rings. because I mean, so it, Christmas time Except is not, the- the, not the Hobbit films. I'm so sorry. No, no, Hobbit, the Hobbit films suck. There's, like, <laughs> a couple good scenes in the Hobbit films, but they're not worth watching the rest of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Which sucks. I really like Martin Freeman, and I wanted those movies to be good. There's a lot of really attractive not. people in the Hobbit films, but it is not worth sitting through those films to watch the very attractive people do the very attractive things. I'm this so sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings is great. Uh, Christmas time is my Lord of the Rings rewatch time, so. Yeah, maybe I will too. Got to bust out the extended editions. Uh, Also, this is a side note. Uh, We're talking about fantasy things. I know we've gone super long with this episode. I'm so sorry, but enjoy this as your Thanksgiving treat because you won't hear us till next (laughs) Tuesday. Um, But 
uh, the Wheel of Time series came out on Amazon. So that is something I've never read the Wheel of Time books. So maybe that'll be something I delve into because I know it's being billed as like a Lord of the Rings light. I mean, everything kind of is in the fantasy genre. Um, but I'm at least intrigued by that also because there was news of the Amazon's um, like Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV series that came out more recently. But uh, all this talk about, you know, fantasy worlds. I mean, I know we switched from sci-fi to fantasy, but fantasy is my first love. I love fantasy worlds. I could I could spend all day just enjoying you know your your fantasy worlds and stuff like that but I, I have no idea if wheel of time is good or not so if you guys have you know watched it let us know because that's something i'm at least intrigued by i've never read the books but me either yeah but maybe that'll be the next thing we talk about but i know well, we, i think I, next thing i'll be talking about is probably the hawkeye series i, I haven't been able oh, to watch yeah, it today right. it drops today the first two episodes unfortunately right. i'm just too busy but tomorrow i will be watching it so all right there's for tuesday yeah, there's that that we have to watch. And I kind of want to watch um, Arcane, which is a Netflix animated series uh, that is in the League of Legends universe. But everyone's like, watch this show, but don't play League of Legends. So maybe that'll be, you know, something I watch over my holiday break. We'll see how much time I have. Because now there's like, we talked about like a couple days ago. There's like, oh, there's no pop culture stuff. And now we're like inundated with pop culture. So <laughs> we've got we've got a lot to talk about uh, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, that's going to do it. And that's all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL Show. It's part of the Lockdown Podcast network make sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice from apple to odyssey to spotify and rate and review us while you're at it you can follow the pod at crosscheck nhl on twitter me and mary c clark on twitter and andrew at andrew berkshire on twitter thanking thank you for making the crosscheck nhl show your first listen every tuesday and thursday we'll be back on tuesday with some more puck talk but now make your second listen locked on bets locked on bets your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs locked on bets is hosted by your boy q with expert analysis and insight from lee sterling